what is inductive Bible study? In its simplest terms, inductive Bible study is the process of gathering and analyzing information, interpreting the information in its literary and historical context, and finally drawing conclusions based on your observations and interpretations, applying those conclusions to your life. And to put it another way, the inductive approach involves these three steps, scripture, observation, scripture interpretation, and life application that outflows from a transformed heart. And it is my goal to equip a generation of believers in effectively studying and engaging with the Bible through the tool of inductive study. In the month of October, Study, Pray, and Rest is hosting a level one inductive Bible study on the topic topic of forgiveness. My level one inductive Bible study will provide the contextual insight, tools, and questions that help you slow down and observe and interpret what you study. You can think of this as my introduction level for teaching how to inductively study scriptures. Using my scripture writing plan on forgiveness, I'm going to help you take a daily look into the word of God in order to cultivate your Christ-like identity of forgiving others. If you have 10 minutes or so a day to dedicate to learning how to inductively study and focusing on the topic of forgiveness, I invite you to enroll. Go to the link in my show notes or deannamason.com forward slash forgiveness study. You can enroll and participate during the month of October for just $5. That is the enrollment fee. It'll go up to $10 for the entire study after October. So I'm hoping you can hop in and study with me and let me begin to teach you how to inductively study the Bible in order for your life to be transformed and therefore the outflow of what you study impacting the life of others. I hope to see you in there. Well, hey, welcome back to the Study, Pray, and Rest podcast. I am Deanna Mason, your host, and I'm happy to have you here. If you're here for the first time, welcome. So happy that you pushed play to um, check us out and see what's going on over here in this part of the podcasting world. Today is my last episode in my short series on justice and equity lessons learned from Uganda. Today, I want to talk about or probably a better way to say, I want to answer the question, what does it mean to have enough? What does it mean to have enough? This is something that God brought to my attention, journeyed with me um, while I was in Uganda, because this was the first time that I was exposed to this level of impoverished living. Um, it, it was something like I had never seen before. I had never been out of the U.S. in this way. And um, like I, me, me and my husband went to Cancun for our anniversary, but, you know, <laughs> did not have the experience of actually being in community with the people that lived there. This So this was my first time actually inserting myself into the villages and um, meeting the people of this part of the nation. So on our second day there, we had it marked to 
have a visit or to spend some time with some of the sponsored children in the uh, organization called Compassion International. <laughs> I get Compassion and Promise International because they both have that international in the end. Sometimes I get them mixed up. So if I if I if I interchange those, no, I'm talking about Compassion International on this episode. So Compassion International, if you're not familiar with them, just Google them. Um, or go to the show notes. I'm going to put a link in the show notes because I'm hoping that if you're not a sponsor, that you will be moved to sponsor a child with them after listening to this, or you know, maybe God will guide your heart in that way. But we spent a day with the children that some of the families that are in Mark and Jill's ministry, um, before we went to Uganda, Mark and Jill sent out um, an email asking if any of their list wanted to sponsor a child in Jinja, which is the city that we were staying in the first part of our trip. And if so, they would ask if they could come to meet us and take pictures with them and just let them know um, that their sponsors love them and they had pictures, like the sponsors gave her pictures and they were able to frame pictures and bring those pictures of their sponsors to the children and also take pictures of the children in order to bring those back to the American sponsors. It was a very beautiful day. Had about, I'm going to say 10 kids there, maybe 10 to 12 kids, and just enjoyed our time learning about what Compassion International did and just playing and um, sharing a meal or two with the children. They were just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people. But one of the things that impacted me tremendously was sitting down with some of the Compassion International leaders and asking them about their work. And one of the questions I asked them um, was how in the world they chose their children and chose the moms that they worked with because they told me their method of, of recruitment. Basically, they go into a village of choice that they've chosen to go into that day and they choose a child from that village based on their visit there or a mother. And... I'm like, how in the world do you make a decision? <laughs> because every single person in that village needs you. Every single child in that village needs Compassion International. How do you walk away and say, we have three slots and we're going to pick three children? How in the world do you narrow that down? That has to be, that has to feel impossible. And the way he, this is how um, he answered me. He said, well, we look for, he being one of the leaders of Compassion International, we look for the neediest of the needy. That's what he said. We look for the neediest of the needy. And that kind of blew me away because even in an impoverished village, there's levels of need and some are greater than the others. So they are looking for people that if we do not insert ourselves into their lives, they will not survive. Or this family over here, they're in a pretty bad 
condition, but they probably have a good year before things get to the point of utter desperation. But this family here is at the point of utter desperation. We are going to insert ourselves here because without us, this child is going to die. This mom is going to die. Whatever the situation is, it was just a very significant thing to consider how they narrow their choice down. I just really felt like it was almost an impossible job, but it's one that they do joyfully and it's one that they do very, very well. Um, another question I had for them as my mind was blown by their work and the way they responded. These are brilliant people, by the way, like speaking four languages, the leader of that particular area of work for Compassion International. Her name was Grace. Her leaders asked her how many languages did she speak because they knew she spoke a lot, but they didn't, and they knew that she spoke more than them, but they didn't know how many. And Grace said, I speak eight languages and they were blown away, you know, which I'm blown away by the four that they spoke. And they're like, eight languages, Grace, how in the world? And I asked her, how does one pick up eight languages? And she says her work just sends her in so many places that she has had to pick up the languages of those areas over time in order for her to continue in relationship with those groups of people. So that was just quite something. These are brilliant, brilliant minds. The children, brilliant, brilliant minds. It was quite incredible to interact with them. But I had a question for them like, okay, so once you get these children in your program, so they walk these children from infancy or, you know, wherever they're coming in, but possibly from infancy to high school graduation or the equivalent of high school graduation there. And some also into their post high school education. Is it called post-secondary education? And, um, I said, well, what is your retention rate? That was my question. Like how many children actually stay with compassion once they are enrolled? And the look on their face when I asked that, they is like they didn't understand. What do you mean what is their retention rate? I'm like, what how many kids stay with your program? Like, is there a percentage of kids that actually finish? And they looked at me, they were like, All of our children finish. None of our children leave the program. The only time we may have a child leave the program is if the mother or the family relocates, usually the mother relocates, and we can't locate the child. But even if a mom relocates without notification, without telling us, because, you know, that is a thing, you know, when you're dealing with impoverished situations, they have to go where there's survival, right? If there's a reason why, a family relocates without notifying us, we go and find that family so we can continue to serve that child. And I was just blown away by the fact that they were like, once we have them, nobody's leaving (laughs) because this is how they survive. This is their livelihood for their child and many times what how they care for their child spills over to care and relief for the entire family. Just one child um, working with compassion impacts the whole culture or not culture, impacts the percentage of 
or chances of survival and thriving for the entire family unit. So this caused me to go into an exploration of, okay, well, uh, what do does a family need in order to survive? What does a family need to thrive? And they basically broke it down to these five needs, all right? These are the five needs that Compassion International provides for their children. Okay, so food and clean water. Clean water there is a, is a huge problem. Clean water, um, not having access to clean water is one of the number one reasons for illness and sickness in life expectancy. Um, percentages are low because many people don't have access to clean water. So food and clean water, safety or safe shelter, healthcare. Let me just pause there to tell you a story about healthcare. So I met a, a young lady, a young child. She couldn't have been more than five named Martha. Martha's story impacted me tremendously. Okay. So Martha was not brought into the program. Her mother was brought into the program. Okay. So they help, um, pregnant moms and they help the children. So, you know, sometimes a, 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 they have a program that's just for the mothers and they have a program that's designed for the children. But of course, after the mom has the child, the child becomes one of their children for um, their program. So Martha's mom was brought into the program. Here's a little bit about Martha's mom's story. Martha's mom had three full-term childbirths before Martha, if I'm getting my story correct, three full-term labor and deliveries, okay? But because she did not have access to healthcare, you know, you know, when you get pregnant here in America, we have prenatal care, vitamins, you know, just things we take for granted. Because she didn't have not have access to healthcare, every single, or even assistance for her delivery, her labor and delivery, all three of those babies were stillborn. All three. And so when she became pregnant with Martha, they learned of her story. They enrolled her into the program and provided her with the health care that she needed to care for that pregnancy and have a safe labor and delivery. And now we have the beautiful and gorgeous Martha. Um, if you go into the show notes, you can click on a link uh, that has a picture of beautiful Martha, but just that one little insertion, I think they said they provide folic acid for her, for, you know, for prenatal care and, uh, a, a doula, I guess the equivalent of a, like a midwife or a doula to, to help her in her labor and delivery. And just these little small insertions of healthcare made a difference for Martha's survival. Just incredible. So healthcare, let me just go over the, the ones I already said, food and clean water, safety and shelter, healthcare, number four, education, 
when you think of education, I'm talking about the access to continuing knowledge in order to apply wisdom, you know, to your life. Every, that is a need for every single human is the education we need in order to gain knowledge and apply wisdom, right? So access to education, education there is not free. You have to pay to go to school there um, for any level, elementary on up. And the last one. So those four would count as like the human natural needs that we all need to survive and thrive, right? And the fourth one is a spiritual need, which compassion provides, which is discipleship in scripture, discipleship in Christ-likeness, you know, for those that desire to follow Christ. So those are the things that they provide. And what's not on this list, which I want you to note, not not minimizing its importance, but what is not on this list is money. Okay. Yes. Do we need money in order to exchange money for goods? Yes, that is a thing, but it's not on the list for what we need to survive and thrive. Okay. And this makes me think of two stories and I'm going to share these stories and then I'm going to get off. (laughs) But, um, when I think about money not being needed, I think of two stories. I think first of the Israelites in the wilderness. Okay. I'm not going to, um, go to the scriptures that share this, but if you go to Exodus and just read about their deliverance from enslavement in the time that they spent in the wilderness, and you may be already familiar with the fact that they lived in the wilderness for 40 years, 40 plus years, I believe like 43 years. And they survived on quail, manna and water that was divinely provided to them by God, even though they had, they were rich with treasure because they had spoiled the Egyptians of their treasure before they crossed the Red Sea and went into the wilderness. So they were rich, but their money wasn't enough or not even enough. Let's use the word enough. Their money was not enough for their survival. It was actually not what they needed for their survival. What they needed was the God of provision the God who cares for us. And without God caring for them, they would not have survived even though they had plenty of money. Okay. So that's the first thing I think about. The second thing I think about is the Israelites in the promised land. Once they got into the promised land and in the promised land, they had plenty of money. They had a lot of money. They were extremely fruitful, but The, pro- the thing that they still could not get away from was remembering and understanding why they had what they had, why they were fruitful, um, why the land produced for them. So I want to read, I want to go to Deuteronomy chapter eight, um, verse two through six. This actually is a scripture that was shared this morning. Uh, when I was in prayer at church and, um, I'm like, this, this is exactly what I want to share when I record today. But when they were 
in the wilderness about to enter into the promised land. They received a warning from God. Um, and in my Bible, this section of scripture is called a warning not to forget God in prosperity. And this is what it says. I'm going to start at verse two, eight, verse two. Remember the long way that the Lord, your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger then by feeding you with manna with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone. One does not live by materials alone. One does not live by, um, treasure alone, (laughs) but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, the clothes on your back did not wear out and your feet did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a parent disciplines a child, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Therefore, keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. So it is in this passage that we see God telling them where their care comes from and where their trust in their care should be not in your ability to provide for yourself, but in my ability to care for you, which does not need, according to this, to their story, it does not need money. (laughs) My care for you is not dependent upon the world's exchange system. Okay. Let's talk about the Israelites once they got into the promised land. So here's something that I see. Once they got into the promised land, God knew they were going to be fruitful. He knew the land was going to produce for them. As long as they kept their side of the covenant, they were going to have this wonderful, wonderful, beautiful, fruitful life, right? But even within that fruitfulness, he knew that some people were going to be more fruitful than others. Some people were going to have more than others. And he wanted to prepare them for how to live amongst each other when some would have more, some would have less. You're going to have aliens that come into the land, let them in. And I'm going to show you how to care for one another, even though there are different levels of fruitfulness. Okay. So if you go to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, it says this 23:22. when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the alien. And then he finishes this with, I am the Lord, your God. So basically saying, this is what I'm telling you to do. I am your Lord, your God. You are going to obey what I'm telling you to do. And this is, this is in a section of scripture where God is explaining a festival that he wants them to observe called the festival of weeks. And it was tied to how they observe Sabbath 
and one of the instructions was to not reap everything in their field, but leave the edges unharvested. Why? So the people that had less could come and glean from what the their work, their fruitfulness, their abundance. And so, and then if you go to Leviticus 25, you will see this explanation. I'm not going to read this because it's the whole chapter. It's, it's worth the read, but you see this explanation of what is called the sabbatical year. I'm sorry, not the sabbatical year, even though I could talk about the sabbatical year. In 25, starting at verse eight, you will see this explanation of the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, this is where we see God resetting everyone back to their original position. So this was observed every 49th year or every 50th year, like every 49 years. And then that 50th year, basically, I believe is the year of Jubilee, 49th or 50th year. I get those mixed up, but <laughs> seven times seven, 49 years on in the year of Jubilee, you release your slaves you go back to your property. So let's say that while they're living over those 49 years, they had to sell property in order to survive or sell property in order to care for their family. Um, let's say that they went into debt, couldn't pay their debt and ended, and ended up having to be a slave to someone. Um, whatever the situation was that things got shifted around and people no longer were on their allotted plots of land for their tribe. And this year, everything reshuffled and went back to equal. <laughs> and they will live another 49 years and then everything will reshuffle and go back to equal. Okay. And what we kind of see in this year of Jubilee is just this redemption of property, this redemption of freedom. All right. Liberty throughout the land is what it says in verse 2510. This is the year that you proclaim liberty throughout the land. The land rests, the workers rest. And in this year, you are to use this time to remember the God who provides. You are to use this time to allow your prosperity to feed those in need because the land will still produce, even though it will rest, you know how you have a garden. And even if you don't tend the garden, the things still pop up, um, that next year. And you'll still see evidence that you planted seeds there, right? Because it will still produce. And that was happening for their land. And he was saying, um, the land will still produce. Um, and this was supposed to be enough to care for everyone. All right. And this was God's built-in system of equity, <laughs> built-in system of care for his people. Um, what's sad about learning about this is there is no historical record that they ever executed a year of Jubilee. It is not believed by scholars that they actually ever got there or ever observed it. Um, and we can just imagine why. Can you imagine like amassing a tremendous amount of wealth and then a, um, you have slaves, you have people working for you, you have, things are going well for you. And then this year comes, you're supposed to release everything and go back to, you know, status quo or what everything was. 
do you know how hard that would be after 49 years of labor of, and, you know, of you believing that this, I have this because of my work, which is the problem. This is what he warned them of. You're going to believe that you're fruitful because of yourself. And you are only fruitful because I breathe upon your work. That's the only reason why you're fruitful. If I'm the one that actually put breath in your body to execute the work, you are not responsible for your prosperity and abundance and your abundance and prosperity is not meant for only you. It is meant to provide for all. So here's what I learned when I was in Uganda in the days after that there is a such thing as enough. I learned that abundance has a purpose. My abundance has a purpose. This has caused me to consistently consider how I spend my money, um, taking pause to check in with God. Is this something that I can buy? Is this something that I can buy for me, for my family? Um, or is there, is this something that you want me to release for the care of others and learning how to release money as he directs, even if it means that I go without, these are lessons that I'm learning now. Um, here's what I do know without a doubt right now, my family has enough there. We are not in need of anything. We do not need anything. We don't need food. We don't need clothes. We don't need shoes. We don't need shelter. We don't need, um, access to clean water. We have all of that education, healthcare, all five of those things on this list. We have, we have food and clean water, safety and shelter, healthcare, education, discipleship. We also have some money. <laughs> I'm not saying we're rich, but we have money. So I already know that we have more than what we need. Now, what I must allow myself to do is let others glean from my field. I've got to learn how to let others glean from my extra. Take what I need, take what our family needs for our care and leave some of my abundance or leave the rest of what we don't need for others to glean. And possibly what he's wanting me to do is learn how to focus on the neediest of the needy, which for me here in this country is really hard for me to zero in on. But my spiritual eyes and ears are open to learn what that might be. And you know what? There probably is going to come a time when I'm going to need others to let me glean from their field. There's going to be a time where th things shift and I may be the one without enough. And I'm going to need the children of God to come and make sure I have clean water and food, shelter, health care, education, knowledge, discipleship, whatever those things are. I'm going to need to glean from your fruitfulness. So. My question to you as I close is, what is enough for you?
in what is abundant. Can you sit with that to see where people that are in need need to glean from in your field? That's it. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Study, Pray, and Rest podcast. Listen, you may have a question after listening to what you heard today, or maybe God spoke something specific to your heart. I'd love to hear it, and I'd love to journey with you around it. If you can just leave a comment on this episode or email me at Deanna at DeannaMason.com. You can join the Study, Pray, and Rest community on Instagram. We're at Study, Pray, and Rest. And don't forget to leave a star rating and review. The more of those we receive, the more people we can put our podcast in front of. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll chat soon. Bye for now. Thank you.